1: Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Isn't it odd how in the strangest of situations, two people are remembered together, even though their lives only crossed at a tangent? And in today's story, we see two people miles apart in the lives they led, but who crossed paths tangentially and now will be connected forever. But before we begin, a big thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially this week's new supporters who have joined this exclusive club. That's Jess Harris and Jonathan Bartlett. Thank you so much for your support, which is much appreciated. And also a big thank you to Chris Summers from TotalCrime.co.uk who brought today's story to my attention. Cheers, Chris. So let's set some context to what we're going to hear about today by checking out the music we were listening to at the time, the 10th of March, 2000. It's fair to say it isn't a selection that you'll be sharing with your grandchildren, except for giggles, that is. From the Backstreet Boys at number 10 with Show Me the Meaning of Being Lonely, to one of the worst covers I've ever heard at number 1, Madonna with American Pie. I think it's even worse than William Shatner's cover of Common People. Do you? Or are you a fan? Top of the pile in the US singles chart was Lone Star with Amazed and in the Australian album charts, KD Lang was number one with Recollection. In the news this month, former Chilean dictator General Augusto Pinochet headed home after being told the UK would not extradite him on torture charges. In America's Cup sailing, Team New Zealand destroyed the Prada Challenge 5-0 to win in Auckland. And in UK true crime news, Myra Hindley, who had spent 34 years in prison for her role in the Moors Murders, lost a third High Court appeal against a Home Office ruling that her life sentence should mean life. Except for the obvious, not too many complaints about that I think. Today's story comes from Kilburn, which is about four miles northwest of central London. I live just down the road in Maida Vale after university, and Kilburn is still a place I enjoy visiting. I love the diversity of the people, and the realness of the area, and also some of the pubs. There's certainly no shortage of places to grab a decent beer in Kilburn. Comedy legends Robert Webb and David Mitchell are from here, but at the other end of the legend scale, shy, retiring, discreet and wildly popular singer Lily Allen also hails from here. Known to his family as Bambi, due to his kind nature, Lambos Christodoulis, or Charlie as he was known locally, was one of three children educated and brought up in Cyprus. He studied for a degree in economics in London and returned to Cyprus in 1974 for military service before returning to the UK in 1976. But Charlie never met the right partner and he didn't marry or have any children. He was a quiet, shy man. His sister, Enina, met fellow Cypriot Michael Lanitis and the couple married in 1974. They bought a warehouse in Kilburn in 1978 from where they ran a successful food, beer and wine company from the premises. It also acted as a home to the couple and to Charlie who set up self-contained flats within the warehouse. Charlie worked in the business for a while but in 1980 he was hurt in an accident involving a beer barrel and so was unable to continue to work. He continued to live in the property but for a shy man the lack of social interaction of no work meant he became even more withdrawn, although he always stayed very close to his immediate family. He became a man of very strict routine, which would see him lying in bed until late morning, before he would take a bus to Oxford Street where he would visit the same bookies to place his bets. The bets he placed were very small, but he took great pleasure from this gambling and it was central to his life. Late in the afternoon he would then catch a bus home, shower, and change into a designer suit from Savile Row, which he was very proud of and adored, before heading back to Piccadilly Circus and Leicester Square. Once there he would sit in cheap cafes and budget restaurants like McDonald's drinking coffee, snacking, and studying the racing form, before returning home in the early hours of the morning. Maybe you saw him there sometimes, just another anonymous figure. His sister and her husband closed the warehouse in nineteen ninety three, and four years later they moved out to a new family home with their son Christopher in nearby Mill Hill. They offered Charlie a room in the house or even a flat of his own, but he didn't want to move as he knew the area and he liked the area. As we have said, he was a man of routine. And where he lived was close to the bus stop, which took him to the West End, which was the key to his enjoyment of life. But Charlie and his sister remained close, speaking almost every day on the phone, and Charlie went for Sunday lunch at his sister's house every week. She also popped back to the warehouse to see him often, sometimes to cook or sometimes to help him clean. Then in March 2000, Charlie disappeared. He was last seen at the William Hill Bookmakers in Edgware Road on the afternoon of the 9th of March 2000, when his bedroom was searched after his disappearance. The early edition of the racing post from March 10th was still in his bedroom, but he never returned to William Hill to collect his winnings from the previous day. His bus pass, which expired on March 9th, was never renewed, and he didn't visit his sister's for Sunday lunch, and on the Monday he didn't pick up his benefit money. His sister had seen him a few days before he disappeared when she visited the warehouse, and she was expecting to see him at her home in Mill Hill later in the week, as the family were taking delivery of a new car. It was very unlike Charlie and his family were desperately worried. They hoped that maybe he'd suffered some form of breakdown, or had had some kind of accident, and would turn up again soon either at home or in a nearby hospital. But these thoughts were brutally dashed two weeks later, when Charlie's body was found dumped in a garage inspection pit at the complex in the disused warehouse in Kilburn where he lived. Even more horrifically, it was clear to detectives that he'd been tied to a chair and tortured before he was murdered. The police were mystified. Why would anybody want to hurt this somewhat eccentric man who had never caused any harm to anyone and led such a simple and peaceful life? Did he have some sort of secret life his family didn't know about? It seemed unlikely. Had his gambling increased and got out of hand? Again, he wasn't well off, and with the tiny bets he placed, Surely his gambling can't have got him into trouble. Both seemed unlikely, so police were stumped on the motive for such a nasty, drawn-out killing. Unknown to police and Charlie's devastated family at the time, the answer to this mystery lay in a very unexpected area, very close to home. The man responsible for Charlie's death was a man called Thanos Papalexis. Living geographically close to Charlie in North London, but in all other ways a totally different life to him, was Thanos Papalexis, the London-born son of a Greek shipping magnate. I hate to use the term playboy, but I guess he is just what you would think of when you hear that word. Like the very worst sort of trust fund guy, you know the sort, when the privilege and the entitlement hit you slap in the face even before the slightly overpowering expensive aftershave. He graduated from the expensive Mill Hill School, dropped out of university after just a year, and joined the old man's firm, Mayor International. But Alexis didn't want to be told what to do. He was confident in his own ability, and wanted success on his own terms, so just a year later, he started out on property development on his own. His private life was, as the tabloids might say, somewhat colourful. He was by all accounts a sex addict and loved to host orgies for his social circle and film the action, with him, of course, in the starring role. I guess you need to give a little more thought to the invite wording for this sort of event compared to a standard birthday bash and the guest list too. If we briefly fast forward to May 2008, Here are some excerpts from a Wikipedia page he created about himself to give you more of a flavour of his humility. A British-born businessman, generally credited with pioneering non-traditional and extremely effective negotiating methods and deal structures in the oil, shipping and real estate industries. He also claimed to have successfully negotiated with local militia groups to release commercial vessels that were being held hostage in the Shat al-Arab River in Iraq during the unstable time after, as he termed it, the US-led invasion during 2002 and 2003. Papalexis also alleged he was a survivor of the tsunami in 2004 while holidaying with his family in the Maldives. He wrote, was able to evacuate his family to safety within hours of the disaster by persuading local airport officials to reopen the airport for a flight evacuating 300 passengers. Papalexis further boasted of his private education at Mill Hill, funded by his successful businessman father Emmanuel, claiming to have led virtually every school sports team as captain and subsequently established several athletics records that remained unbeaten. Of course he did. Of course! Back to the story and the year 2000. Papalexis was in trouble harbouring big debts and sinking fast with his property dealings in the US in trouble when he was unable to raise funds. The time for his charm and persuasive talk was over and the lawsuits were starting to pile up. By using false CVs and being somewhat liberal with the truth, he secured large bank loans for his ambitious property development in North London that he struggled to pay back. One scheme to build luxury flats in Holloway led to him hiring untrained illegal immigrants to save money. But their work was poor and the project was on the edge of failure. He was paying £60,000 a week on a bridging loan and he knew he was in danger of losing it all. Even with his dad giving him £1 million to help make it a success, he eventually defaulted on the loan and owed £5.35 million to investors, including about £600,000 to unsecured creditors. And this is when Papalexis first heard Charlie's name and their lives came together. Desperate to get out of his financial hole, in December 1999, a £3 million deal was set up with Charlie's brother in law, Michael Anitis, to buy the warehouse where Charlie lived. The price was later renegotiated to £2 million and a completion date set for March 2000. Due to his financial situation and the huge debts he owed, Papalexis was unable to find the cash to make the purchase and instead agreed to flip the property to another developer and ease the financial problems at his other troublesome development at Holloway Road. The key to pulling off this whole deal would be whether Papalexis could release a 1.1 billion down payment on the property which could be offset against his debts but that could only happen if both deals went through simultaneously. Papalexis couldn't allow anything to go wrong with this deal, but he was concerned about the caretaker, who remained a resident at the property, Charlie. Although Charlie's family reassured him that Charlie would move out when required, Papalexis believed that Charlie stood in the way of a quick deal that would save him from financial ruin. In his desperate state of mind, he couldn't risk anything stopping this deal happening, and so he took the action he believed was needed to remove the perceived problem. Papalexis recruited two failed Albanian asylum seekers who worked for him on his building sites. The three men went to the warehouse where Charlie lived at 8am the following day to carry out the murder of Charlie. The attack started by a boat kept in the garage area before a terrified Charlie was dragged to an upstairs dining room where the torture continued. He was beaten and strangled before his body was doused in paint stripper Wrapped in a bedsheet and dumped in the inspection pit. Papalexis returned later that afternoon to remove the body and all traces of the killing. At this stage, Charlie was still a missing person, and while the search for Charlie continued, Papalexis' deal with his brother in law collapsed completely, and Papalexis was forced to hand back his set of keys. This prevented him from entering the site once more to remove the body completely, and this deal failing, also meant that the Holloway development was put into receivership with £8 million worth of debts. The fact he couldn't go back to clean up from the murder meant there were plenty of clues for detectives and forensic experts when they found Charlie. On March 25th, specialist officers returned to the site with dogs and they found his body covered with a duvet and cardboard boxes underneath a parked mini Clubman. His feet were still tied together and a blood-stained cord was around his neck with a woolly hat that had been pulled over his face. He'd been strangled to death. Papalexis fled to Florida to start a new property empire and set out ingratiating himself with the social and political elite. As he did so, he left detectives in North London, searching for clues about the murder of Charlie. Papalexis told friends that he made the move for a clean, fresh start after his London property development company flopped and the receivers were called in. Believing he was safe from ever being caught for the murder, he left for the US with his future wife Karina, who later gave birth to his only son Emmanuel, or Manny, who was named after Papalex's dad, and they settled into a dream life. Neighbours at his Riverside mansion in the exclusive beachside community of Manor Lapan, north of Miami, recall seeing the keep-fit addict either cycling down the road or driving his blue Bentley convertible or Prize Lamborghini. And yes, he had just lost his company with creditors left with £8 million worth of debts. It is, I guess, for another podcast to look at the real-life misery this caused for many of those people and their families. Papalexis, as we've heard by now, was more than a little dodgy in his business dealings and knowing he was going to annoy some pretty powerful people, he surrounded himself with the best security he could buy, using former special force agents who had experience protecting dignitaries and politicians. He was known for his wonderful entertainment in Florida. His parties for rich friends were the social circuit's must-attend events. He threw one huge party at the home previously owned by Gianni Versace, where Paris Hilton and the designer Valentino were guests. I think I'd rather have stayed in and washed my hair that night. On another occasion, he invited his rich friends to his rented estate at Palm Beach to join Bill Clinton at a fundraising gala for Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. One of his best friends was the influential local mayor. Papalexis drove a Bentley Arnage, dressed impeccably and charmed everyone. And as he'd managed to do from a young age, he found himself able to convince wealthy investors to part with their cash. But he was, in reality, just a common con man. But he just happened to be one who worked with higher wealth individuals. One ex-employee realised things were going south when a $15,000 cheque Papalexis wrote to cover the cost of the Versace mansion party bounced. He recalled, As Thanos left the party, he said, Bye, tell them we'll take care of the bill. Someone will call, but every cheque he wrote bounced. And it was the same with his private members club Vita, which was quite unashamedly for the very rich. The idea was that from initial investment and subsequent fees, members could access a world of pampered exclusivity. Papalexis promised executive jets, the finest yachts, and the hotel suites usually reserved for celebrities and world leaders. But as usual with him, the reality was very different. Whereas he promised champagne, he delivered half a flat lager top and the lawsuit started to head his way when the rich of Florida realised that they'd been duped. It was the same in everything he did, where he dressed sharply, laid on the charm and used his smoke and mirrors act to entice naive but wealthy investors into his shady web of investments. But unbeknown to him while he was living in Florida, Papalexis had been careless when he murdered Charlie. He left his fingerprint on tape stained with Charlie's blood and cigarette butts bearing his DNA were also found at the warehouse. Detectives were making the case against him for murder and they took the move of contacting his wife. Police sources said that his wife, who returned briefly to the UK after she grew tired of his lifestyle, Gave a statement to police, but she declined to give evidence against him. She told him the police had approached her and his visits to the UK abruptly stopped. He reapplied for his US visa in the Bahamas, and he later hired a private investigator to find out what evidence the police had. But it was eight years after Charlie's murder that everything unravelled for Papa Alexis. He'd flown that morning by private jet from the Bahamas to lunch with his mistress at the Fire Rock Cafe. An upscale pizza restaurant overlooking the intercoastal waterway in West Palm Beach, Florida. Some of the wealthiest people in America live and play in this oceanside resort, where gated homes cluster around golf courses and super luxury hotels. Papalexis was well known to the local elite as an ambitious entrepreneur, but they looked on from their sloppy Giuseppi's in astonishment as an armed US Marshal walked to his table, read him his rights, and arrested him. The charge, the marshal said, was the murder of Charolambos Christa Ludis. Eventually, in December 2008, Papalexis was extricated to the UK to face trial for the murder of Charlie, which he denied. In addition to the DNA evidence, there was one other key witness, former escort and porn actress Rebecca De Falco. She told the jury how she met him after he answered one of her internet ads in April 2004 where she advertised her services for up to $2,000 per booking. Wooing her with champagne, roses and claims that he was a James Bond type who spied for the American and British governments, Papalexis soon became infatuated with Rebecca after they met for sex in luxury hotels in Florida. She said their three-month relationship became turbo-charged after she fell under his spell from a series of confessional love letters. He was charming. He was someone I broke all the rules for, she told the old Bailey during her evidence at his murder trial. I was fooled, I was mesmerised and I was charmed. Every part of me and my senses were completely involved. I fell hard, I was taken for a ride, I was completely smitten. Papalexis became obsessed with her and had asked her to grow up other clients for him and started paying her $2,500 in lump sums. He even paid Rebecca, who incidentally starred in porn movies with porn legend Ron Jeremy, to have sex with other men while he watched and also film their encounters. The court heard that she was one of several women that Papalexis cheated on his wife Karina with. He even paid for cosmetic surgery for four women, the court heard. He claimed that his wife had agreed to let him have discreet sex with other women after she suffered problems during fertility treatment. Hmm, what do you reckon? The court was told he had hosted wild sex parties at his rented mansion and joined a sadomasochistic pornography website, all of which helped satisfy his insatiable appetite for sex. The court was told that Papalexis told Rebecca he'd worked for the CIA, MI6, and the US National Security Agency before confessing during a heated row at the Four Seasons Hotel in Palm Beach to murdering a nobody. In a fit of rage, she asked him, have you ever killed anyone? He replied, yes, I strangled someone, she told the jury. This man was giving me problems, he said he was in the way. But Papalexis told the court he falsely told her he loved her and that he spanned an elaborate fantasy. "'during an intense sexual relationship. "'I wanted her to feel loved "'and to feel that I was a super spy "'and that we'd have great sex and great fun together,' "'he told the court. "'I've regaled her with stories "'which would make a screenwriter envious, "'but I've never mentioned anything to do with this murder. "'I told her about missions, explosions, car chases, "'gun battles in the desert, "'stories that you would see in a movie, "'but nothing to do with the murder.' of a 55-year-old gentleman in a warehouse in London. So convincing was his act. The court was told that after he disappeared, she wrote to then US President George W. Bush asking for help. Prosecutor Jonathan Laidlaw QC told the court that Rebecca said nothing about the confession until she read about his arrest in December 2008. She then came forward after everything that man told me came back. Later, After resuming email contact and revealing she was fighting cancer, he simply replied, Bon voyage. It transpired that Papalexis made a similar confession to his wife Karina, claiming that the man was in the way, and also to his privately hired bodyguard, a former US Navy SEAL. The jury didn't believe him, and Papalexis was convicted of murder after a three-month trial. And as you may expect, he smiled as he was jailed for life with a minimum term of 20 years. The judge, Jeremy Roberts QC, said Charlie's death was an execution for financial gain on a harmless and entirely innocent man. He branded Papalexis totally amoral and said the failed businessman would do anything to help achieve your own ends. You don't think twice about doing or saying anything that occurs to you that may help you achieve your own ends, whether in your personal life, or business life, or however much your deeds or words may offend against the law, or moral standards of ordinary decent people, or both, said the judge. You treated Charlie as utterly expendable when it came to achieving your own goal of salvaging your property development career and changing a financial disaster into a spectacular success. The two illegal immigrants hired by him, both denied taking part in the murder, but in a cutthroat defence, they claimed their boss had forced them to clear up the scene at gunpoint. They were both convicted of murder, with one serving 17 years, and another 15 years. The judge told them, Papalexis was calling the shots, and you were doing his bidding. Speaking after the trial, Detective Inspector Brent Hyatt, who led the investigation, described Papalexis as a Walter Mitty character, he is a man who had absolutely every advantage in life, but has proven to be outrageously devious, dishonest and callous. A man that was entirely driven by selfishness and greed to an extent that I've never seen before, he said. And Charlie's sister, Ananina, said, I truly believe he is like the devil for what he has done. Regardless of the sentence given to Papa Alexis, it will never justify just how a multi-millionaire playboy can put the value of money over and above the life of my innocent, harmless brother without any provocation on my brother's side. Without being vindictive, I wish him as much pain and suffering as I have suffered and will continue to suffer throughout my life. We've been given our own life sentence without any crime. And tragically, Charlie's mum Victoria died in Cyprus aged 82 during the trial of his three killers. His sister said her mum had never been able to come to terms with her son's death. On this podcast, I like to talk about people on the periphery of the story and how events changed their lives. In today's story, let's take a look at Marie-Hélène Jerry. She was Papalex's mistress for more than two years and was dining with him when he was arrested at the pizza restaurant in Palm Beach in November 2008. As details about his fraudulent activities became known, She became depressed that her life with the con man had been a sham and she began drinking heavily. Despite Papalexis telling his mistress that he was divorcing his wife Karina, she later discovered that he'd forged her signature to pay a $2,000 car rental bill for his wife. This depression brought on by these events led to Marie being found dead from alcohol poisoning at her home just 18 months after his arrest in 2009 with a bottle of vodka by her side. Her ex-husband said, I blame Papalexis for the death of Marie. He is to blame, no doubt about that. He took her in and then left her with nothing. She was completely taken by this guy, and when she found out what he was really like and how he had ruined her, she turned to drink. He added, In the years I was married to her, she was not a drinker, but from meeting Papalexis that changed. She was in love. She believed in all the things he told her. She thought they were going to get married. Just another victim of his betrayal. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's pretty shocking that a man who had every opportunity to succeed in life, whatever that means to you, managed to make such a mess of things. And ironically, for the man who was so charming and persuasive, it was in fact his loose talk that led to his conviction. But wherever there's money, there are people like Papalexis trying to extract it. He was just working with richer people than most. You know sometimes you wake up at 3am and the world is a dark place as you struggle to overcome a certain issue or a worry. I wonder if he woke up worrying about what he was doing and how he risked losing everything. Or was he too arrogant due to his life of privilege certain that things would turn around for him. I wonder. And poor Charlie and his family. A lovely, harmless man, just going about his own business and killed for nothing through no fault of his own. What a terribly sad story it is. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. A big thank you again to Chris Summers, who brought today's super interesting story to my attention. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK true crime, please head to the Facebook group and join almost twenty one million of us sorry, uh, two thousand one hundred of us, and to support the show and listen to twenty five full length bonus episodes and other exclusive content, please go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash uk true crime where for the price of hiring a towel as a sauna in Rochdale, you can have even more fun than you would have in the Rochdale sauna. So on that bombshell revelation, it's time for me to go. Until we speak again next week, thank you for listening and remember, stay classy.